So, uh, you, you plan on recording an, an album or an EP? Uh, I will say from experience, one of the, the coolest things about doing it on your own is complete creative control. I will say one of the biggest disadvantages of doing that is uh, it's hard to uh, gain an objective ear when you're listening to your stuff and that's why i want to tell you about obsidian sound it is a mixing and mastering studio in northern california run by nathan moody uh, a musician who some of you may recognize from his etude series of albums and his latest electroacoustic album the right side of mystery which i own on a double cassette the packaging is super cool and it's an excellent album Obsidian Sound specializes in that critical final polish to reach and connect with audiences more effectively. Nathan specializes in independent electronic music uh, with a special focus on ambient and modular. So, listeners, this is kind of uh, it's kind of our sweet spot. Um, he works with artists and uh, labels alike. Most of us electronic musicians act as solo artists, as I said before, but before releasing a new album or collection of work, there's a huge benefit to having an objective set of professional ears in a different acoustically treated room on full range monitors. Um, when they hear you know, your work and then add some final quality assurance and objective polish, whoo. It, it makes such a difference. And that's where Obsidian Sound comes in. With 20 years of experience in the audio industry, Nathan offers mix review, mixing, and most importantly, mastering services, with a special focus on preserving and delivering the artist's creative intent. He's provided mastering service for well-known modular artists like R. Benny, Mylar Melodies, and more, uh, including Donald Crunk and Dark Sparkler, friends of the show. Anyone listening to this podcast can get a 10% discount off of mixing and mastering services by mentioning that you heard about Obsidian Sound on Podular Modcast. From experimental to noise to ambient to techno, Obsidian Sound can help you sound like a better version of you. I mean, Arbeni did it. This track that you hear under me talking is from his new release called Isla, and it was it was mastered by by Nathan. And if I mean if Arbeni uses him, I think you can uh, you can know that your 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 sound is in good hands. So if you want your project's mixes reviewed, improved, or mastered, please visit obsidiansound.com. And don't forget to mention that I sent you over there because it'll get you a 10% discount. Pod Mod Bods, welcome back. This is a very special episode. Today we have Dave Smith of Sequential Circuits on the show. And if you haven't heard of Dave Smith, I don't know where you've been, um, but I'm sure you've heard of the Prophet Synthesizer. Well, he's the mastermind behind that. Have you ever heard of MIDI and Soft Synths? He's uh, pretty much responsible for that. So, Ellison Wolf from Waveform Magazine and I went down to San Francisco last year and uh, had the distinct pleasure of visiting the sequential offices and got to sit in Dave's office with him and have this nice chat. It's a little shorter than other episodes, but it's, uh, it's still a very good chat. One note on production, I brought my little Zoom H6 handy, uh, handy recorder and uh, the windows were open because it was nice and beautiful weather down there so we could hear some some hustle and bustle of the San Francisco streets in the background and also like all human beings Dave gesticulates when he talks and his hand hits the desk so there's some thumping and I'm sorry that's my fault I shouldn't have set it on the desk it's a total it's a total newbie 
It's just it was a rookie mistake. Um, but it really doesn't affect how good of a conversation we have. So, yeah, I hope you guys can forgive me for my transgressions and enjoy this talk with a synth legend. So you've heard me uh, talk about my album, Music to Come Down To, uh, a few times here in the last few months. And uh, I'm proud to announce that it will be released in October on cassette through a lovely label out of Pennsylvania called Flag Day Recordings. And I highly recommend you go check out their band camp. Lots of really good stuff. Um, while we are on the topic of Flag Day Recordings, uh, they're, they're throwing an event which is going to be called, which is called Flag Day One. Um, it's it's going to be in uh, at the Community Arts Phoenixville in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, Friday, June 14th, 2019, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. So, yeah, there's going to be uh, noise music, performance art, free improv, ambient drone. Um, yeah, so it's the first annual summer event bringing you a varied mix of music within the experimental genre. So please go check out flagdayrecordings.bandcamp.com. And uh, if you're in the Phoenixville, Pennsylvania area, go check out Flag Day 1. should be a lot of fun. And one more event to tell you about, if you are in Glendale, California, uh, Sunday, May 26th at 1 p.m., you could go see R. Benny, Hark Madly, Izapa, Kitty Spit, and Rhea, R-H-E-Y-A. I hope I said that right. Um, and Rhea is the moniker of David, who sent me the message to tell you, May 26th, 1 p.m., uh, it's going to be an awesome show. So if it's an invite-only thing, so if you want to go check out this show, Email David at info at rhea.com. That's info at r-h-e-y-a.com. So, yeah, some pretty cool events going on. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep rolling on this intro. Before we get too deep into this conversation, I want to tell you all about our local synth shop here in Seattle, Patchworks. It's one of my favorite places to go. The whole staff is just just great they're so fun to go i sometimes i just go in there and hang out um but they're also very very knowledgeable um but i know what you're thinking tim i don't live in seattle that doesn't matter they have a great website and they ship so go to patchworks.com and check out their lovely selection and buy some stuff p-a-t-c-h-w-e-r-k-s.com I also want to give a mention to Crema Cafe. Uh, they make these excellent stands for all sorts of musical devices. Um, they also make really cool dust covers and protective covers for everything from like your teenage engineering pocket operators to electron boxes. I use their Spike XL stand for my Make Noise 7U travel case. And it's just, it, it sets it at this nice pitch. I can just sit down or stand up to use it. It's not, it just makes it so much more comfortable to use. So, uh, and they, they pack down in, into this nice little canvas bag that, that'll eventually be like the size of a, a book that you'd bring on a plane with you. So they're sturdy and they're collapsible and so travel ready. So for the traveling musician, um, whether you're going from gig to gig or to your Airbnb to make a beautiful patch with the... Pacific Ocean sunset in the background, you know, it would just make it look that much better. I kind of went on a tangent there. Um, I'm not sure if that made sense, but go check out cremacafe.shop. That's C-R-E-M-A-C-A-F-F-E dot shop. And we are going to get into this talk with Dave Smith very soon. But first, let's check out a demo. 
So uh, Ileana from Omi Industries is, uh, I think this week has officially become one of my, what I call forever modules, one that's not going to leave the case. Um, it's just so great for, for someone like me who, who doesn't do a whole lot of uh, writing of their own trigger sequences. I like to, I like to have the, the module kind of lead me to them. Um, and this is, this is perfect for that. So I feed it, uh, all sorts of different, uh, gates from, from Tempe, from make noise and, uh, just start just start plugging away and seeing what I can find. And up until now, it's been mostly used in my case as a glitchy drum, uh, machine, but, or, uh, to drive glitchy drums. Um, but I thought maybe I would try to do something a little different with Ileana today. And, uh, I'm going to control some envelopes to control VCAs and filters to make a, a percussive patch with no drums um, and kind of show that you can, you can do some cool rhythmic stuff. So right now I'm using the, uh, the voltage block as my sequencer and the qubit cord as my oscillator. And I'm using it in a minor seventh mode. I'm using the root out, the third out, and the seventh out. So I've got the, the root going into uh, an LPG that is then going into Tom Evans' dual dreadful VCF and then into Tom Evans' stereo mixer. Um, I'm going to tell you more information about Tom Evans' stuff soon. He's a local Seattle guy who's just starting to make some really cool stuff. Um, the LPG CV is getting the XOR output from Ileana. Uh, so that's what's opening up the, the, uh, LPG. And then the VCF CV one is being controlled by maths, which is being triggered by output Y of the programmable logic section of Ileana. And then the second CV in or the spread of the dreadful filter is being controlled by an ADSR, which is also being triggered by the XOR output of the hard logic, which is, um, what's triggering the VCA. So did you get all that? Did you follow all that? Do you remember? There's going to be a quiz. Okay, um, this is what that sounds like. So that's pretty fun. The second piece I have is the seventh of the minor seven chord going into a Tom Evans stereo VCA, which is being controlled by Maths Channel 1, which is being triggered by Ileana Programmable Logic, the X output. Uh, so let's see what that sounds like. There's a, a bias knob on these on these VCAs, so you can let a little of the uh, the unVCA'd section. Is that the official term? So yeah, I like I like fading that in and out. Let's see what that sounds like without the first one that we brought in. Finally, I've got the, the third of the minor seventh chord going into a Tom Evans VCA being controlled by uh, Maths Channel 4 as well, which is uh, being, uh, being triggered by the X output of the programmable logic section of Ileana.
So you can see how we've got a nice little kind of plucky rhythmic patch with no drums. And now let's uh, let's really bring this to life with the Chrono Blob 2, which is a digital digital delay that has been uh, blowing my mind as of late. So. Now I got it in the uh, the smooth fades uh, delay style. There's also a tape delay style that will do a uh, some some pitch shifting when you switch between your your time. And the 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 time knob has a multiplier and divider as far as time goes. So that's pretty fun. So let's just mess with that in the in the smooth setting. Nice smooth switch. Also got the maths channel one uh, coming out of the uh, or going into the waveform input of the qubit chord. Let's let's fade that up and and as a reminder, that's being controlled by the X output from the uh, programmable logic side of Iliana. when I completely switch up all of the triggers that are controlling Ileana really quick. style I'll be honest I've uh, I've always kind of had um, I've always been a little partial to analog delays but the chrono blob 2 is showing me 
the potential of digital delay because it does some really crazy stuff so i can't wait to explore that more with you and have you get to know it again this 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 tape you can be very performative with it Yeah, there you go. Thank you so much for listening. Go check out uh, Ileana from Omi Industries. It's a it's a really fun module, and uh, the Chrono Blob Two has been, uh, like I said, really making me a fan of the d- the digital side of delay. So go to omiindustries.com to learn more about uh, Ileana. That's O M I I N D U S T R I I es.com and then allrightdevices.com to learn more about the Chrono Blob 2. That's A-L-R-I-G-H-T-D-E-V-I-C-E-S.com. All right, let's talk to Dave Smith of Sequential Circuits. Okay, so where do we start? Yeah. All right. Actually, I've got 40 years ago. Oh, and not today, but 40 years ago this year, Profit 5 came out. 40 years, yeah. 40 years in January. Well, it announced in January, shipped in like March, April. All right, so 40 years in like seven months. How does it feel? I feel old. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, when you do something that long ago, because you you, you lose track of it, you know. It's it's a cool thing to do at the time, obviously, but, you know, something that's long ago, it's just hard to continually dwell on it. So you just, it's just... I mean, the one thing is clearly back then we had no clue that anybody would still be using them in 40 years. That's the amazing thing. I mean, thing. There's, yeah. there's just, if somebody said, I think anybody will be using this in 10 years, I would have started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would it, well, because you think, you, you know the technology is going to change, and in 10 years yes. the technology is going to be obsolete, but music's not about it's, technology. It's not, well, te- music technology is much different than most technology. So, yeah, it's, you can't compare it. And that's what everybody forgets. It's like, you know, how, you know, are guitars new technology? No, it's like wood and strings. You yeah. know? It's, there's nothing new about it. And yet, you know, people still use them, still buy them, still sell them. I mean, it's because uh, it's a musical instrument. It's, rules are different. Yeah. yeah, people are excited. Yeah. Still. Yeah. I mean, we're talking to Justin because it's, it's kind of amazing that you came out with three products. You came out with like the, the sequencer, two sequencers in the programmer, is that the deal? Uh, well, I had, I had an analog sequencer, then I had a digital sequencer, then I had a programming unit. And then the profit. And then the profit. It's a bit of a jump there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. I'm like, I was telling him, like, it's like it's like making two tricycles and being like, yeah, now I built a hot rod. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but, but hot rods didn't really even exist. Cars existed, but hot rods never existed. So well, I mean, but, the, you know, the sequencer had, you know, there's a lot of digital logic in it. I mean, it's all digital logic. It didn't have a processor because it's not quite the time yeah. and the programmer uh, it was all logic also but you know that basic control voltage programmability so you know it was kind of like okay well I know how to program things and oh here's some new synthesizer parts I could build a synth and I could combine the two and make it controllable and then of course I'll use a microprocessor because I had already been, I had been working on them with for like three or four years already so it's like really brain dead obvious that that's the right way to do it. What were you doing? I know you were, I mean, I've read that as well, but what were you doing with microprocessors before synthesizers? Well, I actually worked at a semiconductor company for a while, uh, developing microprocessors, and then I worked at two different companies, uh, 
actually, I think the last one I was designing uh, computer, well, printing terminals. It's these are kind of hard to picture this now, but there was these desk-sized units that had a printer built in and a keyboard, uh, so you could you know type up stuff, you know, oh, like almost a, like a word processor, yeah. but not quite. Uh, kind and of a precursor to it. They what? Was it like a precursor to the word processor? Yeah, okay. yeah, and in fact, right around then, I think is when no, actually, it was even later when the first word processors came out. You know, when Xerox made these huge things. Uh, but yeah, it was just a microprocessor that would control uh, communication, serial communication, and control the printer, and control the keyboard, and stuff like did that. You, did you start studying that, that stuff to, with the intent of getting into working with music technology? No, or was that no, it, was all, it all just sort of happened. Okay. I, I had a day job, and uh -huh. that, was my, that happened to be what my day job was, and it happened to fold over. Okay. Since it's technology and new technology, it happened to fold into okay. design. Yeah. Oh, I, I played in bands okay. and you know, okay. stuff like that, and so I, that's how I got into it originally, combining oh. the music and the technology uh -huh. backgrounds. And, and then you had like a mini Moog, and you were like, I'm going to build a yeah. concern. That mini Moog. That's crazy. I bought, uh -huh. I bought that in 1972, so one, of, one of the first few hundred built, and somehow it's still around. It's disappeared for years at a time. Oh, really? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's like 45 years old. Yeah. Right uh, so, but how did you know that was the one? Is it number? Yeah, that's a serial number. It's like thirteen forty or something like that. And I think they, and I think they started at a thousand. Oh, so, uh, well, because it makes it look like you've sold so many. Yeah, oh God, that's, uh, that's kind of like cheating. I, I shouldn't. I, I don't know that for a fact. Yeah. I was, I heard that or read it or somebody told me that at one point, which may or may you could look it up. I'm yeah. sure. So. So, so a few minutes ago, you mentioned um, you you would never have pictured somebody using the the, the technology ten years from now, in yeah, or forty years from now. Kind of what, like in that in that frame of mind with the soft synth, were you kind of was it the same or were you kind of expecting that to take off and and now that it it's just like everybody uses it in every genre now and you can do it on the on the bus like. Did well, we actually we knew it would. I mean, yeah. when at Seer Systems, where we did the very first soft synths ever, mm -hmm. we our tagline was the future of music synthesis. We knew. Yeah. Even though back then we, it took a long time to explain people what it, we would be at an AM show, and we, you know, somebody would be demoing, and they go, "Oh, what am I listening to? Oh, it's a soft synth. What's what do you mean? It's 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 a computer program that makes music. Where is it? What do you mean? <laughs> oh, see that computer there? And it was just the concept was just so foreign. And uh, but we knew that you, you knew computers were going to get faster. You knew mm -hmm. we'd be able to do more and more. And it was clearly something that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, the only difference was, in my case, about two or three years later, I realized how, for me and as a musical instrument, how lame it was. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's. I'm just going to say I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> no, you don't have to edit that out. Everybody knows I I think that way. Yeah. And, but it's not a hundred percent. There are a lot of really good things about soft sense. First of all, they're free. So if you're a kid, on whatever computer you have, you have a soft synth to play for free. So a lot of kids, a lot of people got into music because they had a free soft synth. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, there's a lot of things you can do in soft synths that don't make any sense as a hardware synth. There's a lot of, you know, 
more different synthesis methods you know, where, you know, this is really cool and it sounds great, but it only does this much stuff. So you're not going to build a $2,000 keyboard just to do this. Right. But with software, hey, you can sell something for 200 bucks and yeah. you got new stuff. Yeah. It allows people to stay in the box, you know, so they could be on their, on the airplane and put on their headphones with their laptop and they could do shit. It is really you know. cool to be able so, to come up with ideas yeah. without mm -hmm. having to have Exactly. So there's a bunch of reasons why it's really good. The only reason, not the only reason, they, they don't sound quite as good and they don't interface with a musician like a musical instrument. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, you could buy a controller with a bunch of, a row of knobs that mean nothing except you know that the third one over might be cut off. Uh -huh. and, you know, it's not a usable in, interactive interface. That's what's always been the biggest turn off. Oh, yeah. with that and yeah. why I think modular was such a huge draw for me. And modular is kind of the ultimate extreme yeah. of that. But we've seen it a lot over the years because kids who, who were brought up on soft sense who've never used a real one and they'll come to the damn show and they'll put on the headphones and they start playing and after five minutes they say, okay, I get it. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is this is so much more musical and that's almost what, that, well, not almost, it's what we're doing with the Prophet X, you yeah. know. Yeah, you know, people, oh, it's a sampler. Well, then they, they have this thought, this is what a sampler is supposed to be, but they don't realize that this is the only sampler where you could easily, quickly immerse yourself into the musicality of a musical instrument and go in many different directions with a single knob term. You're not spending all your time diving through menus and putting yeah. on your geek hat in mm -hmm. order to make music. So this thing will actually lead you musically into different places you normally wouldn't get because it's too hard and too slow and you lose your place. You're trying to find the right filter and by the time you get there you forget what you were trying to do. Yeah. Here you turn a knob and something really cool happens yeah. and you're done. I mean, it's an idea machine. That and so, sounds like something that's good. A priority for a lot of people who are developing either sample-based stuff or really like kind of in-depth like real-time real, change, real-time change, and avoiding menu diving. I mean, yes. the programming aspect that's got to be a huge. It's it's huge, and yeah, the other nice thing is it's a constrained design. Uh -huh. You know, the knobs aren't going to change. Yeah. There's not going to be an update where all the knobs change in a week, and there's twice as many features in a menu. Mm -hmm. You know that if you come back to that instrument in 10 years and turn the cutoff knob, you know exactly what's going to happen because it's a musical instrument. It's concise. It has its own personality. You're not trained to do everything. It's just, you know, every, everything about it, you know, we see it all the time musicians play it. I mean, yeah. It's just, it's, it's a musical instrument. And software, I don't think, is ever a musical instrument. It, well, it's it a great piece of technology, and it can sound great and could do a lot of things, but it's not a musical instrument. Well, and having built-in constraints, I mean, it, with so, I mean, it's almost the antithesis of like a software synth. You're it saying is. like, I know I can do anything and everything in this, however, I don't want to do anything and everything. I just want to do like whatever is... Yeah, I want to make music. Totally different than having limitless options. I want to make music. And That's it's easy making music stuff. with inspiration. And, you know, when we did the Prophet 6, you know, I didn't want to redo a Prophet 5 because it's kind of dumb. And, you know, we, we get, like everybody else, you know, when you want to add features, you know, like a Rev 2 is so many modulation capabilities, all this stuff you can do. But every once in a while, I'd go back to the Prophet 5 and you go, wow, this thing not only sounds really good, but the palette of sounds you can get out of it are so varied. You can go from here to here to here to here, and you look at the front panel, there's nothing there. It's like, what, 10, 15 knobs and a handful of switches? You know, how could that possibly 
give you that much of a breadth of sounds. And so that's why we did the Prophet 6, you know, compared to a modern synthesizer, even ours, even the Prophet 12, the Rep 2, the Prophet 8, it seems so basic and so simple. You know, one LFO, you know, Prophet 12 has four LFOs per voice. Right. You know, so that's 48 <laughs> LFOs. And now we have one, and yet it's been one of our best sellers because musicians just connect with it. They go, oh, it's so simple, and yet it sounds so good. Yeah. And I get so many different sounds out of it, but it's just, it's all right here. Yeah, yeah. many times it's worse. I mean, yeah. actually, I can't tell, tell you how many times I've sold, like, synthesizers because I'm like, you know what, I'm never going to use these B functions. No. And the no. shift button is like dusty. And yeah. it's going to stay dusty. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's the whole concept. And that's actually when you're designing a musical instrument, that's the hardest part, is knowing when to stop. And we have arguments all the time. Which so, strings to put on it? Yeah. Well, where, where do you just stop? Hey, you know, this knob would be real cool. And we all go, yeah, that'd be really cool. But is it you know, we've already just added these, you know, should it be this or should it be that? You know, we can't put everything in, you just can't. I imagine that's gotta be even, that, that temptation's gotta just get harder year by year with the bats, the more stuff you can fit in a small box. Yes and no, I mean, we're kind of, well, we've been doing it a long time, yeah, so we're, yeah. we have a good gut feel mm -hmm. for it, and when we come out with a new instrument, you know, like we're working on our next one now, of course, you know, we try to start with a basic concept. You know, it should be, you know, this, but with this and kind of this and appeal to this. Uh, we don't like to design to any specific genre. It's not like this is our techno machine, this is our you know, pop machine. You know, we don't do that. We just try to build a new instrument with a focus and a personality and character. And that usually helps us decide where to stop. Uh, the other ha part that's even more easy is when you're doing a polyphonic analog synth, every voice costs more money. Yeah. So every feature, you might want just a little feature, but it's times 8, yeah. or it's times 16, or it's times 12. So yeah. that also forces you to kind of keep things a little tight. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of variables in the equation of making this instrument. Like you yeah. want people to be able to afford it, but you also want people to feel inspired by it, but also make... Well, and also understand that not everybody's going to be able to afford it either, so you need to know who you're we, trying we to We deal, well, and that's where we, we don't go down that route. We don't say, this is only for high rollers. We don't go, let's build something as cheap as we can. It's really all about the instrument, and we see what price it comes out. We, you know, we try and have a general idea of a mm -hmm. target, but mm -hmm. that's not what drives us. What drives us is some new creative instrument that we can come up with that hasn't quite been done before, and will sing with its own voice. And if it costs twelve ninety nine or twenty nine ninety nine, it'll find its audience. Yeah, it, it yeah. And It'll obviously, we we try not to do anything you know too wacko. I mean, we're not. I shouldn't say this. We're not going to build an eight thousand dollar yeah. voice instrument. Yeah, we're all say, yeah it's like uh, yeah. So. Uh, you have to keep that in mind somewhat. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, the profit X at $4,000 is kind of pushing it yeah. as far as we're concerned, and yet there's nothing else that gets anywhere near touching it, I mean, on any level. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, yeah, that's, that was a stretch for us price wise. I was actually at a synth meet in June in Atlanta, and uh, I guess I think Jared, yeah. was, I had a table, and he had a table right next to me, and he had the profit X, and people were just like, 
they're freaking out essentially. Yeah. They're like, I've heard about it, it's been rumored, you know, I've seen a picture or whatever, they're just like touching it and you know, putting on headphones and it was like they're gone. Yeah, they're there's, really, there's really something magical about the sound and you know, it's taking a little longer for people to get into it because everybody's got a they have this thing in their mind because it says samples. So they immediately think of everything else in the last 30 years that got samples. But once they play it and they listen to it and interact with it, then they... Can understand it. Yes, yeah. yeah. I'm curious about your, your you have you know, three, three modules, right? Like uh, yes, modules. yeah. Now is, is that kind of a, a market or kind of a, a, a area of instruments you're keeping an eye on or, or something you want to dive more into or where do you stand uh, at that the, you know we haven't done a new one in a couple of years yeah. and I don't know that we will I mean uh -huh. you see we're not a real big company so we what we found is it sometimes takes almost as much effort design effort to get a module into production you know because we build something you know we're going to build a thousand of them or you know a lot of them uh -huh. and it takes a lot of work to make it perfect yeah. you know and ready for production you got to get all the parts just right you got to do all the testing and all of that and make sure uh you know if we were just two guys in our bedroom then you know you can get by hey this this works good you enough we can ship it and we yeah. can do you know 10 every couple months yeah, yeah, yeah that's a lot easier but for us we you know want to do it right mm -hmm. and you know for not much more effort we could just design a whole instrument yeah, yeah. and i'd much rather design an instrument than uh just a part of an instrument. And I actually, on, on that note, I think, from what I can tell by all the manufacturers that I've talked to, not all, but it seems like there's kind of a, a trend towards stuff like the Make Nose, uh, No Coast, and the, the Mother 32, like kind of a semi-modular, right. condensed Single voice. thing. And, and I, just, I just kind of think everything's kind of going towards that. I don't know, like maybe back to the group box era or something. Well, we have the Pro 2, which is a perfect mm -hmm. interface for a modular system because it's got a very deep sequencer. It's got four control voltages in and out that can run at audio yeah, rates. And, you, and, and yeah. you could program what the CVs do per program. So mm -hmm. one of them, you could have them all driven from the sequencer. Next time, you could have the sliders or an LFO going out, or you could have an oscillator going out as, as, a, contr as a control voltage. So it's perfect to have that with the modular. Yeah. But again, we'd rather build a complete instrument than just a part of it. Well, you guys are good at it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, th there is that. And you know, I'd rather sell something for $2,000 instead of $200. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 we actually sell more keyboards than we do modules. So yeah. not only does it, well, yeah, you could yeah. do the math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, makes, yeah. it makes total sense. And you know, in a lot of cases, I could, you know, I'll put my sense up to a next to a module with the mod matrices we have and how you can control stuff, you know, and we have the advantage of being able to hit save yeah. when we're done and we can, we can get it back tomorrow. Yeah, it's, it's funny, it's one of the beautiful things about both of them, you know, yeah. being able to save is obviously, yeah. I mean, that's the amazing thing about the Prophet 5 is you can save everything on it. It was yeah. like 40 years ago and it's still something that, like, if you don't have it now, I mean, would people even buy a synth, like a modern synth? Well, no, there have been a lot of very cheap uh, monophonic synths that are non-programmable. Oh, yeah, yeah it, that started just a few years back. You know, people realized, you know, all you got to do is go online and you get circuits for anything. And, yeah. and, and if it's non-programmable, it's pretty trivial. And if it's monophonic, it's pretty easy to build something that, yeah. that will work because if it's not polyphonic, the voices don't have to match. If it's not programmable, it doesn't have to be repeatable. You don't have to have everything tweaked. 
Uh, you don't have to have your oscillators tuned. It's a, you know, make sure your VCOs are in tune and all that. So it, it's really pretty mm -hmm. simple to yeah. do. Uh, and so a whole lot of people were doing that because, yeah. hey, and, so, and since the whole analog thing was exploding, you know, hey, there's a new analog synth, and yeah. Yeah, everybody's got one. Yeah, so. all over the place. So, you know, we did that. We kind of started that, actually, you know, with the MoFo was, you know, it was mm -hmm. a $400 mono synth. Yeah. But since then, you know, we've decided to be better to stick with the, you know, more professional stuff, higher end stuff, and let everybody else. Uh, I think the MoFo and, and, like, the Evolver, the, the desktop stuff is, like, is kind of the perfect, like, um, you know, entry gate for people to to the, the sequential world. You know, yeah, like it's sure. A good entry point for mm -hmm. people yeah. Who can, you know, well, the Evolver is actually my entry gate for getting back into the business. You know, oh, I hadn't done any hardware in 20 years, and, and what, what so was that? 2002, I started so chipping it. So I, I point to 2002 as the start of the modern day analog revolution because that year the Evolver came out, and Bob Moe came out with the Voyager. Okay. There, there was both in 2002, and before that, there was really nothing yeah, like analog. Yeah. That what I call the uh, dark ages, digital dark ages. I was gonna ask For 20 years, that. there was nothing. Yeah. And you know, when both of those came out, you know, neither one took over the world immediately. But from then, you know, Bob did more stuff. I started coming out with more products, and at the same time, people were starting to start starting to buy older products again. All the stuff that nobody wanted for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So the vintage stuff was coming back in as we were starting to build new stuff. And so it's a very slow curve at first, but then in the last 10 years, because you know the Prophet 8 is 11 years old now already. And that I think was kind of the next big jump for getting things going. And that was right when Mo was getting into the Slim Fatty, I think yeah. it was right around then. And you know, so we were both taking jumps and so it just kind of became exponential. What do you think that was, like that that retuning into kind of analog or like heavier, beefier stuff rather than outside of the digital software? Did uh, it get too easy? It's or? it's two things. It's the sound. Yeah. People got really tired. Of, you know, basically after 1987, which is when the M1 came out, for 20 years everybody was building M1s. You know, they just got more bits, more of this, more of that. Yeah. But they're all M1s. And the second half is the interface. You know, they all had the same stupid, you know, row of switches and, you know, no interaction unless, you know, you're like to punish yourself. So <laughs> it, it was the combination of, well, here's this Jupiter 6, you know, you know, wow. That's all it takes. And listen to it. There's actually some life mm -hmm. because it's, a, you know, as you know, polyphonic analog synth means every voice is a completely different synthesizer. So you've got six synthesizers all playing together, so they can't possibly ever be the same. So people just listened and they interacted, and it was like, wow. And there's, there's no, it's all, a huge part is also just the, uh, it's old, so it's got to be better. I mean, yeah. there's always some of that, that you know, because people will sometimes mention, hey, I got one of these things, and I go, no, <laughs> that was a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, I, I won't say that, but, you know, yeah. you know, some of those old synths were just not very good. Yeah. Uh, but even that, though, uh, any sound can become fashionable again. You know, some of the sound, since back then, you know, the Japanese synth, oh, they were so thin sounding and, you know, they just did But nowadays, you know, well, actually, they do have their own personality. It's got their yeah. own sound. And so, yeah, that, for certain kinds of music, it, it actually yeah. works. Yeah, like a GS7 yeah. always going to be, you know, 
So when uh, I was looking over your, we were both looking over history. It's like there are a lot of firsts. Firsts. Yeah, like first, yeah. I mean, is there any one that particularly stands out to you that you're kind of the most proud of? Uh, you know, that's always a hard question. It's like, you know, what's my favorite product? You know, I don't know. You know, I, I guess... Not the modules, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've, I've never been that much of a modular guy. But, uh, you know, the Profit 5 was the first, of course. So, you know, there has to be a special place for that. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm always most excited about whatever I'm working on next. That's cool. You know, the Profit X is actually pretty cool, but part of that's just because I haven't done anything sample related in 30 years, so it's kind of fun to get back into it. At this level, what you can do now, you know, with 150 gigabytes of samples, for example, and, um, and then interact with analog filters again and do things in a more instrument-like way. Uh, but as you know, as far as first go, you know, I, I don't do things so that it's the first. You know, well, it, just, it seems like it just happened. Because well, you're, well you're back then it was then. easier, you know, because <laughs> there was nothing. You know, yeah. this was the first because it didn't exist before. So, okay. you know, it's it's almost like cheating. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually what was fun in the late '70s, early '80s, is every time we go to NAMM show, there'd be something cool, and because everybody was just doing new shit mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. And then again, we went to the digital dark ages where there wasn't anything new, you know, or very little. Why do you think that was? Why do you think it, I mean... Well, a large part of it is most keyboard players only wanted emulative sounds from the beginning. Yeah. That's why they loved the Prophet 5. That was the first time that they could have an organ, strings, brass, synth, whatever, uh, even electric piano to a certain degree by hitting a button. That was never, you couldn't do that before. Yeah. So that was the only way to do it. Uh, you know, when the DX7 came out, okay, well now you got velocity, you got 16 voices, and it's not really a wider palette, but a different palette, and of course it nailed the roads, so that was yeah, huge, because everybody was still carrying 200 pound roads around back I then. I still do. Uh, so <laughs> then when the M1 came out, then that was it. Everybody's happy, we're done, we got it, it's all right here, and next year it's better, and next year it's better, and next year it's better. And, you know, if you're a touring keyboard player, that makes sense. You know, you gotta play piano, you gotta play Rhodes, you gotta, you know, that's what you gotta do. Uh, but it just got, I think people just got so wrapped up in that, and there was this pent up demand to go crazy again, and, you know, experiment with sound and go in different directions. So once we started putting out analog synths again, and once they started discovering the old ones again, it just, oh, it just, it's like everybody was in a cloud. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And a lot of people who used to play them are coming back and saying, yeah, I, you know, I sold all that shit 20 years ago, and you know, I miss it, and you know, I gotta get it again, and you know, it's, it's, it's you know, there's no specific direction, uh, reason, but, in the beginning, it was because they just wanted emulative. Not that many people were really interested in synthesis. The funny thing is, when I, look, when I, when I play one of those older keyboards and, and playing like the emulative stuff, like, none of it sounds like what it's telling me it's going to sound like. <laughs> like no. Violin. It no. doesn't sound like a violin. No, no. <laughs> and it's always been that way. But, you know, it's, it's just all about the personality of sound. And now, yeah. you know, nobody's going to want a DX7. Mm -hmm. But you have to remember, you know, there are only like, what, 13,000 Minimogs made originally? Yeah. I mean, it's not, there's only seven or six or seven thousand Prophet 5s. 
It's not that many. There mm -hmm. are quarter million M1s, yeah. you know, quarter million DX7s, yeah. you know, so emulative or synth, you know. Mm -hmm. That's it's a real easy choice for most people. But this time around, everybody's doing it because they like synths. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's why I don't think it's going to go away this time. No. I think uh, uh, analog subtractive synthesis has passed the test of time. It's been around for over, over 50 years. Everybody knows what the cutoff will do on any yeah. instrument, analog, digital, software, whatever it is. You turn that knob, you know what it's going to sound like. And it's a good sound. And subtractive synthesis is conceptually very simple. And yet, for whatever reasons, it happens to have a very wide palette of sounds. So it's a great combination, easy to use, and, and it just happens to sound good. And who knows why sweeping a resonant filter sounds good? I don't know. Yeah. But it does. <laughs> it just does. It just, it's like the you most satisfying thing you can possibly yes. do. And, and we've all heard it a million times. Yeah. We almost you know, roll our eyes when we hear it. And it's yet, it like, still sounds uh, good. Uh, yeah. I still do it. I'll be recording and recording something, and then it just sounds so good. And then I'll do it. I'll listen back, and I'm like, why did I do so many filter sweeps? And yeah. I gotta re-record that piece. I know, because you can't help it. Yeah. It sounds good. It's like you do it. It's like doing it in private. Yeah. Don't tell anybody I do yeah. filter sweeps. Quiet. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't thank you. We've, we've almost got a half hour of your time. Oh, wow. Well, no. <laughs> got some new, got some good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cuss Hopefully. words. Uh, <laughs> trash talk. <laughs> <laughs> trash talk. It's all a mess, yeah. Um, but just as a closer, like, you, this is, you've been doing this for a long time and you're still passionate about yeah. it. Like, yeah. Amazing. Something that, well, that's, you know, it's nice that I had a break in there. Yeah. I mean, you know, after. Well, after Sequential, I worked for Yamaha a tiny bit and then went to Korg, started their R&D group, which is still there in San Jose, actually, all those years later. And then we did the wave station there. And then shortly after that, I kind of got out. Uh, and then the next thing was doing the soft synths in the mid-90s. Uh, and then it was kind of refreshing to have that break, even for me. I mean, I say the digital dark ages, well, I, I was kind of there, too. I just wasn't really ready to start a company. I didn't, you know, didn't really have the hardware bug again quite yet. I knew I didn't want to do so software, but I didn't know quite what to do. And so it was just nice to kind of have that epiphany to, well, I think I'll do this again. And I had no plans. I had no idea we'd end up where I, I just, you know, it was just me for the fi first five years because uh, I didn't want to have a company. Yeah. And even now, I, I always joke that we don't have a 10-year plan. We don't have a five-year plan. We don't have a one-year plan. <laughs> when we finish a product, we start working on what we want to do next. Uh -huh. And there's no planning involved. We, th this company has just grown because it's grown. Because people like it. Yeah, because we, we, we apparently can design instruments that people like. Yeah, and yeah. that's not a that's that's not a given, and we recognize that. And not everybody is going to like everything you build. We recognize that also. It's like Stratocaster, Les Paul. Mm -hmm. it's, it's okay, you know, pick one. Um, so, but we just it's just fun. To, there's so much to do. Yeah, and my friend showed me the Prophet Eight the first time I ever heard any of your stuff. And that's when I was like, it really showed me what a synthesizer could be. And just like, because yeah. everybody had forgotten. Yes. Yeah. It, wow. it was like, no yeah. screen involved, no, nope. no mouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Nope. Well, right on, Dave. I appreciate your time. Yeah. No problem. That was fun. That's always.
I've got the wrap down, as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> You're a pro. Yeah. Actually, I saw you at MoFest a couple years ago, and they did like the toast for you. I was oh, a, that was, I, I wasn't, ex no, I didn't. No, it was. They didn't tell anybody. Yeah, I, I just kind of, they said, hey, can you come down at 6? Uh, you know, we, we think we're going to do something. And I, you know, I had kind of a hint that maybe, you know, they, uh, but I didn't, I had no idea. I didn't know I was going to be in the middle of all these modular things. and. and Oh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was really it was pretty cool. cool. I yeah. mean, that was really, that was cool of them. Yeah, I mean, obviously nice. we're friends with all those guys and, yeah. you know, it's, we're competitors and yet, you know, it's... Well, that's, and to me, like, that's one of the amazing things about the synth community just in general. I mean, I don't know if it's like this in all aspects of the musical instrument community, but with synthesizers, it's like people are really open. Yeah, They're it's been that way. In the late 70s, it was that way. You know, we hated everybody at Oberheim, but we were buddies. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. so on a business level and competing and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, we'd go to trade shows and we'd all go out and drink and you know, have, you know, that's because it, it was a small industry. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and back then, things were moving so fast and we were all just into it. So it was, It's amazing to see the technology. I mean, 50, 40 years is a long time, but still, it's it, just to see how it is now. I mean, it's, it's limitless. Yeah. Much well, it's fun what we're doing because some of our stuff, I mean, the technology in the Prophet 6 is actually predates the technology, the synthesis technology predates the Prophet 5 because <laughs> we don't use chips. It's all discrete logic or discrete analog circuitry, yeah. whereas the Prophet 5 had an oscillator chip and a filter chip and, you know, using the Curtis chips? No, that wasn't until later. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, that Prophet 5 has Curtis chips in it. But, uh, the Prophets uh, 6, we have discrete filters, discrete VCOs. Wow. Uh, but they're also controlled by a very high-speed DSP chip. Mm -hmm. So we could do things, we can control it significantly better than in the old days. I mean, there's a lot of really high-tech stuff going on inside that to make the really old-tech analog stuff work properly. So, <laughs> you know, it's fun because we get to continually innovate with new technology, and yet we've got a foot in the ancient stuff because that's what sounds good. Yeah, and yeah. you don't have to give it up. Yes. Like, yeah, it's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we don't, you know, it's like people talk about the filters on the Prophet X because there's analog filters, and they say, well, couldn't you do that digital? I say, yeah, but we're doing it this way is like cheating because all we do is put the filter there, and it sounds so good, and we don't have to do any balancing or try to make them sound different or unique or all the stuff you have to do in a digital domain because it just works. It just makes the digital sound better. People can hear it. Because there's, there's a mode where you could bypass the filters with the uh, samples if you want. Uh -huh. But you compare them and you, it's hard to put your finger on it, but it, it sounds better. Like literally yeah. put your finger on the button. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, do it blind. Which one do you like better? You know, it's, it's something you, you don't notice. It's not a blatant difference in sound. Yeah. But there's just this intangible, just little thing there that I can't describe. Anyhow, thank you so much for sure. Thanks, so great Thanks for dropping by. Do you mind if we take a couple pictures? Sure. Yeah. No, I don't mind. Do you want to do it in here or in the other room? I'm still reeling from that conversation. I can't thank Dave enough for giving Ellison and I his time. It was so cool to go into his shop. Um, yeah, there's I, I, I can't say any more about it. 
Um, I also want to thank Ellison for setting that whole thing up and inviting me along. Uh, it was a really fun experience. So make sure that you go to waveformmagazine.com and subscribe. It's a free print publication, and he's done such a good job and so much hard work. It's it's just it's a thing of beauty. Um, also, check out cremacafe.shop if you need a good stand for your modular system. Patchworks.com if you're looking to just support a cool local shop and... Uh, you need some more modules. And if you have a, uh, an album or song or anything that you want to get some mix notes on or some mixing or mastering done on, go check out obsidiansound.net. Nathan Moody is the man for you. Um, and since today's chat was a little short, let's, let's get into another demo here at the end. Um, but first, let's take a listen to this. One Man Tampons is on a mission to ensure all people have access to hygiene products, including tampons, maxi pads, sanitary wipes, and other monthly essentials. Teens, women, trans males, and gender non-binary people make up half the human population. They all administrate, but not everyone can afford the products they need for proper health care. That's where we all can help. And yes, we're also talking about you, men. Wait, who, me? Men are typically fearless on most every front, except one, buying tampons, maxi pads, or other feminine hygiene products in a store. Why is this? If someone catches you purchasing such items, their first and only thought should be, there's a man who's taking care of someone he loves, be it his wife, daughter, sister, mother, neighbor, or friend in need. But instead, there is an embarrassment, and this needs to change. So what can you do right now? Face your fears, march into the nearest store, proudly buy a stack of new tampons and or maxi pads, and bring them to your nearest 1 million tampons drop-off location. Everyone with the ability to add at least one box of hygiene products to their grocery cart can make a huge difference in dozens of people's lives. It's that simple. You can also check out our wish list, buy online, and send your generous donation directly to us. If you're not in the Seattle area, go to 1milliontampons.com to learn how you can help. All right, yeah. I hope you guys can help out with that. And uh, I've mentioned it before, but... um, if, if you want to just kind of help out in a monthly way and a set and forget sort of way, you can donate to my Patreon um, because I will be giving 10% of my monthly earnings to uh, the cause for 1 million tampons. So yeah, there's multiple ways to do it. And I appreciate all my Patreon subscribers. Uh, you guys are really, really awesome. Let's get into one last demo and call it a day. Up until this point, we have taken a throw paint at the canvas and see what sticks approach to getting to know Ileana from Omi Industries. Today, we're going to get a little deeper, but I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around how to talk about a patch and explain logic at the same time. I'm, I don't, it's not going to happen. But basically, I'm going to show you how you can use the programmable logic side of Ileana to... Um, add like a performative aspect that can add dynamics to a patch. So it'd be really great for live. And um, that's going to come from the use of the program one and program two switches. Now what those are, um, you have program one input and program two input, which are additional inputs for the logic section. So you have your standard A and B, which will do the same sort of logic as the hard logic section. But then you have these additional inputs. And then when the switches are up, they're green and it has to do with like when the, the switches are up, uh, it receives a gate and then it's high. And then if, if you have the switches down, then uh, it receives a gate and then it'll go low. So I, I think that's right. It's, it's something like that, but it's, I'm going to show you more of the effect than, uh, 
than actually be able to explain it to you. So Naomi, if that was dead wrong, I'm really sorry, but hopefully the end result will make up for it. So let's just check this out really quick. So I've got program one and two switches up. Let's take program one switch down real quick. Back up and I'll switch it down right now. So you can kind of do like a little fill action there. Uh, let's do program two switch. And then we'll do both switches together. So there are three, uh, three different fills for this little drum beat. Now let's see what happens when we put this through the Chrono Blob 2 from All Right Devices and use uh, the, the X output from the programmable logic to control the sync input of the delay. And I'm using it in the single delay mode. There are four modes on this delay. There's uh, dual, ping pong, single, and cascade. This is the single. So you can hear those tails changing. Now listen to them change when I switch up these programmable logic uh, switches. pretty fun now just for fun uh, because I'm driving this with Tempe let's let's switch uh, one of the states or let's go through some of the states which just basically changes up the, the different gates gate outputs here So yeah, you can have a lot of fun with this thing. So I implore you all to go check out Ileana on omiindustries.com and the Chronoblob2 at allrightdevices.com. Both very, very fun and uh, dynamic modules. Great for live performance, I think, I'm finding. All right, that's our Dave Smith episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Dave, for giving us your time. It was a lot of fun. It was an honor to meet you. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Until next week.